And he said, let me apologize to you if these kids seem a little sugared up. I said, well, they're going to be more sugared up going home because I'm giving them candy canes. So, Mom and Dad, you can blame Mr. J. Mixon and me this afternoon. We apologize. You know, it seems like yesterday that Julia and I were telling people our good news that she was pregnant, that we were expecting a child. And, And even greater news when Abby was born, that we got to tell people that family, friends, church family, that... That announcement that we told people that, hey, we're pregnant, was almost 14 years ago, which is hard for me to imagine. I mean, time really does fly by. And and there are so many emotions and questions and worries and dreams that come when a couple is expecting a child, and that's not something I really understood until we were experiencing it. But watching my wife carry our daughter, watching her progress through that, I'll put it that way, was exciting And it was humbling, and it was truly awe-inspiring. Somehow we came to love this little person we hadn't even met yet. We hadn't even been able to see her or hold her, but we loved her already. She was ours, and we were so excited to meet her, and we were making plans for her. And as that due date approached, there were more plans and preparations to make. And there were more questions to ask and more books and articles to read and names to choose and things to buy and a room to prepare. And is that not our experience in Advent? I mean, throughout December, we're buying things. You know, we're reading Scripture and devotionals. We're preparing rooms and making plans and thinking about Jesus' names. And we're gathering together with family and friends to celebrate. And as Christmas approaches the anticipation and the excitement approaches. And there's maybe a little bit of stress and apprehension in the last-minute shoppers out there. Yeah, you kind of realize, I'm out of time. So uh, I hope none of you all run, run into Walmart after church today. All right, hopefully you are done and ready. But, you know, I think about Mary and Joseph. I think about their unique experience with their miraculous and unprecedented pregnancy, what unique fears and apprehensions they must have felt, the questions that they must have had. But there were no baby books to consult. There were no YouTube channels to watch or blogs to read. There was no one to help them out, no one who could truly relate to them or help them to prepare for what lay ahead for them. And as they neared... Christmas Day and the birth of Jesus. All their plans and all their preparations for Jesus' birth did not go according to plan, at least not according to their plans. And here they are on the road, alone among this throng of travelers on the way to Bethlehem, unsure where they would stay, much less where Mary could safely and comfortably give birth to her son. And so they ended up, as we heard, not in a hospital, but in a stable. Mary gave birth in the hay, and she laid her newborn son in a feeding trough, attended not by her mother, not by a midwife, but by strangers, by filthy, stinking shepherds. And her son was delivered by the calloused hands of a carpenter. As we come to this fourth and final Sunday of Advent, as we stand on this Christmas Eve on the precipice of Christmas Day, I pray that throughout this month we've been enlarged in the waiting. Listen to the message paraphrase of Romans 8, 22 through 25. Paul writes, All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. 
But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. We are certainly aware of the birth pains of our broken and fallen world, aren't we? In different ways, we each experience the difficult times of pain throughout the world. We yearn for full deliverance from this sinful, broken world, from our own bodies that war against us at times. We began Advent four weeks ago longing for hope, to know that our God is a good and gracious God who's preparing a way for us in the wilderness, a way of salvation. And in that spirit of hope, we then longed for the shalom, the peace of God, to come and heal and restore our broken world, to bring us rest and restoration and to send us out as ambassadors of His peace. And then last week we discovered that as we suffer the sorrows of life, as we shed tears of grief and pain, as I know many have done in the past couple of weeks, as we struggle with doubt and despair, by God's transforming grace and power, those seeds of sorrow are sown and they turn into a harvest of joy. Joy, peace, and hope are gifts of God. But today we come to understand that all of those gifts are wrapped up in the greatest gift of all, and that is God's love. We come to focus on love today. Last week we ended thinking of Mary's story and how she's an example for us. You know, she conceived Carrie and gave birth to the God who is love. And Mary, like every pregnant woman, like all of creation, like each of us, she was enlarged in the waiting. So this morning I want us to notice the ways in which God's love can grow within us and how we should respond as we too are enlarged in the waiting. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26, we see that everything begins with God's grace. Everything begins with God's grace. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Mary a young Jewish girl engaged to, betrothed to a carpenter in the little tiny village of Nazareth in the backwoods of Galilee. That God came to Mary is an act of grace. We each experience this grace as God's love comes to us in our salvation and in our spiritual growth in every act of faith and obedience and in every spiritual insight. It all begins with God's grace. He initiates all of it. We can't take credit for any of it. Everything in our world, everything in our lives begins with grace. Did God have to create us? No. Does God have to save us? No. Does God have to bless us and forgive us? Are we somehow do this? Do we, do we deserve it? Does God owe us this? No. By His grace, God puts pen to paper and authors our story. 
God's grace is like the key in the ignition of our heart. It gets everything started for us. And without His gracious plan to come be with us, we would all be lost, without hope, powerless, apart from God's grace. We would be condemned already. Notice Mary's response to God's grace. This should be our response when we really understand how awesome God's grace and God's work and power in our lives is. She responded with fear. Her response was fear. Look at verse 29. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Mary was having what you might call a brief crisis of belief. A crisis of faith. What, what does God mean by this? Why is God coming to me? You know, when God reaches down and convicts us, when God calls us to Himself, when God opens a door, maybe He calls us to a particular ministry, our first response to any movement by God is always an emotion. We just can't help it. That's how God wired us. We respond with an emotion. Perhaps you've responded to God by being troubled and perplexed like Mary was. Maybe you've wondered whether you should rejoice or tremble. Whether you should believe or doubt. Whether you should turn to God or hide from Him in fear. It's Moses' response to the burning bush, right? It's Isaiah's response when he sees the Lord in the temple high and exalted. It's the disciples' response when the risen Jesus appears before them. It's Saul's response when he's blinded on the road to Damascus. Fear. But the next stage of growth replaces that fear. God gives us peace for His plan and His promise. That's how God always responds to kind of our knee-jerk reaction of fear. He gives us His peace. And it's not a generic peace. It's a purposeful peace. Look with me at verse 30. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Fear not. That command is found 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the week. God is constantly telling us, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Why do we fear when we enter God's presence? It's because we become painfully aware that He is holy and we are not. That He is worthy and we are unworthy. When we are confronted by His grace and His power and His holiness, it just strikes fear in our hearts. That's why Isaiah was troubled in the temple. When he saw God, he said, Woe is me, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, living in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory and the holiness of God. And he had fear. Mary was troubled. But I think Mary was troubled for a different reason than Isaiah. I think Mary was troubled because she understood that people who are highly favored by God don't often live an easy life. Mary was Jewish. She understood the history of her people. She understood that the world often wars against God and those who are highly favored by Him. But God gives us peace for His purpose of being able to receive His plan and believe His promises. Look at verses 31 through 33. So the angel continues and says, Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So God begins to reveal His plan and His promise to Mary, the promise of the ages, the good news that Israel and all of creation had waited millennia to hear. This promise is God's plan. It is the plan of redemption. It is the incarnation, the Word made flesh, God coming to dwell among us to save us from our sins. The plan of God is the promise of God. And notice here Mary's response. She no longer fears. Her heart's been enlarged to contain an even greater, better emotion, one that's informed by the promise, enlightened by the plan, infused with God's peace. She moves from fear to wonder. She experiences wonder. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Now, Mary's question here is not like Zechariah's question. Earlier in the story, when this same angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and he and his wife Elizabeth had been trying their entire married life to have children and never did. And now they're, they're up there in years and they thought that that ship has sailed. So when the angel says to Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a son, Zechariah's question is, how can I know you're telling the truth? How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? That's not Mary's question. Mary's question isn't a faithless question. It's a reasonable question. She's a virgin. And so she's simply asking, how will this be done, God? Not whether it will be done. Not whether she can trust what the angel's saying. She wants wisdom in her awe to understand how this is going to happen. Sort of like the man who asked Jesus to heal his child. And when Jesus asked the man if... He believed that Jesus could do it. The man said, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Mary's asking for wisdom. She's asking for faith to strengthen the belief that she already has. And when we respond to the revelation of God's plan with wonder, not not asking for signs, not asking for proof so we can know whether to trust what God says, but just simply asking God for wisdom, when that's our response, God responds by giving us the faith to trust Him. He gives us hope. He gives us peace. He gives us grace. He gives us faith. Look at verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. So as God reveals His plan and His promises to us, it strengthens our faith. Our faith is enlarged. Gabriel answered Mary's very reasonable question with a gentle and reasonable answer. He expounded on God's plan for her in a deeper and more personal way, explaining to Mary as much as she could understand what God was about to do in and through her life. And he gave her a sign, a sign she didn't ask for, but he gave her a sign, her cousin Elizabeth, who had been barren and beyond childbearing years, is now six months pregnant. Truly, nothing is impossible with God. Now, and, and Elizabeth was more than just a mere sign. She was actually a gift. God was giving Mary this cousin as a gift Because as God's love grows in us, we are enlarged through community. 
She now had someone to walk this road with her, to journey with her. She was not alone. God gave Elizabeth to affirm His call on her, to encourage her in the days and weeks and months to come when things got rough. And together they could walk down this path of faith and obedience as they pondered in a way that no one else in the world could together the mysteries of God's grace. And Mary's response to this new gift of faith was beyond fear, beyond wonder. It was even beyond emotion. The time for feeling was done. Now was the time for action. Now was the time not for emotions, but for the will. And so Mary, in faith, chose to obey. Obedience is her response. Look at verse 38. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Mary answered with both a great statement of faith, but also a declaration of her identity. She was now the servant of God. She had surrendered her rights, her hopes, her dreams, even her own body. She now belonged to God. She trusted God, and she was choosing to obey God in faith. To be obedient to God. To be obedient to God's call on your life, no matter what it is, is to become His servant. It's to become a slave to the impossible. And that's what Mary did. She didn't know what the road ahead was going to be like. She didn't know how this was going to happen. She didn't understand all that was going to come, but she trusted God. And she stepped out in faith to obey Him. Notice how God's love is growing inside of Mary. It's the same way it grows inside of each of us and enlarges us in the waiting. First, we saw it, comes with, it begins with grace. And we reacted trembling in fear, overwhelmed by the holiness and the love and the nearness and the power of God. We respond in fear. God then responds by giving us His peace, preparing us to be a part of His plan, preparing us to be able to receive and believe in the promises that He gives to us. And we respond to that peace in wonder and amazement at God's goodness and power and especially His grace. And even the faith that we have to believe in God's plan is a gift from Him. He even gives us the faith that we need to believe Him. And when we believe, He will give us a willingness to obey. Obedience is always the fruit of true faith. If you really believe God, you're going to do what He says. If you really trust God, you're going to step out and obey Him. And when we have received these gifts of God, His grace, His peace, the faith that we need... And when we choose to obey God and join in His work, then God's love is born in fullness through our lives, just as it was for Mary. And it's expressed through the final expression. We see here at the end the result is pure and simple joy. Joy is the fruit of a life of love, a life that is surrendered to God. It's the outgrowth of our own experience with the gifts of God's peace, with God's uh, uh, faith with God's grace, we will experience joy. And notice two things about this joy. First, we see joy experienced. Look at verse 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah. There she entered Zechariah's house and was greeted by Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. 
and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what He has spoken to her. Elizabeth, John, Mary, all three of these people at this point in the story, they all experience the joy of the Lord. Now remember, Paul tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So notice when Elizabeth and John experienced and expressed this joy, it was when they became filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. John, unborn John in her womb, was filled with the Spirit when they realized they were in the presence of Jesus, who was still inside of Mary. And we see that, that, that Elizabeth rejoiced. Look at how Joyce is expressed. We saw Joyce experience it, but look at how joy is expressed. Elizabeth rejoiced with words of praise and blessing. She praised the Lord. She blessed Mary. She blessed Jesus. Look at how John responded in joy. John, unborn John the Baptist, responded the only way he could in the womb. He kicked, he jumped, he moved, he wiggled. He's putting his whole body into rejoicing in the Lord. But look at how Mary expresses her joy. She expresses her joy in song. And I think all three of these are models for us and how we should joyfully respond to the Lord. We respond to the Lord in, in our words in prayer, in praise and blessing. We respond to the Lord with our bodies. We clap, we raise our hands, we shout. Maybe even from time to time we might dance. Are we still on the radio? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. We're Baptist after all. We put our bodies into it. We might jump for joy. And we also express joy in song. We begin our encounter with God in fear and trembling. We move to wonder and amazement. We respond in obedient faith. And the culmination is one of joyful worship. When love is born out in our lives, it always is expressed in joyful worship. Listen, if you're not worshiping the Lord in true joy, if you're not rejoicing in God and in His grace, you need to ask yourself if you've really experienced His love. Do you know the grace and peace of God? If you do, you should be joyful in your worship, experiencing the fullness of His love. And in Mary's worshipful song, she remembers that God is God and that God is good. She echoes the hope-filled words of Isaiah we've been looking at this month. She yearns for the coming of God's peace, His shalom that will set everything right. And in faith that God will bring His peace, she expresses incredible joy, acknowledging that out of sorrow and oppression and injustice, somehow the kingdom of God is born. And all of this is because of God's love. God's love which she is carrying in its fullest expression within her womb. Jesus. We see all four elements of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love in this simple song of praise. Listen for those as we look at this. Look with me at verse 46. Here's Mary's joyful response of praise. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because He has looked with favor on the humble condition of His servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
because the Mighty One has done great things for me and His name is holy. In other words, Mary is saying that God displays His goodness and power in what He has done and is going to do for Mary. And then she expands that praise beyond herself to encompass what God is going to do for all people. Look at verse 50. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary is talking about what God is doing for us today. Now think about that. Mary, 2,000 years ago, talks about these things as if they've already happened. She says He has done this. He has done that. The amazing truth is that in God, all of these things have been accomplished. On the cross of Christ, all of these things were accomplished. That's why Jesus said, It is finished. That's why we're enlarged in the waiting. It's because what we're waiting for has already been done. It's already complete. It's finished. And we may not have experienced it in its fullness yet, but nevertheless, it is real. And Mary expresses her faith that it has been and is and will be true for her, for Israel, and for all of us today. That is the amazing miracle of Christmas. She continues in verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering His mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. God's faithfulness to Mary, God's faithfulness to us, to all people was demonstrated, Mary says, in His faithfulness to Israel. We can trust that God remembers us and His promises to us because He remembered Israel and His promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mary's own pregnancy is the fulfillment of these ancient promises that a Messiah would be born. God gives us grace, peace, faith, joy, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And as we grow in God's love, as we move from fear to wonder to obedience to joyful worship, we have to realize these aren't one-time gifts. These aren't one-time responses. They're part of a lifelong journey. And every time you and I encounter God in a new way, every time we hear God speak, either in our private devotions or in a conversation with someone or in Sunday school or in worship, every time we're in awe of God's mercy and grace, it's like we begin this journey anew. We begin it all over again. And that's why we celebrate Advent every year. That's why every year we light these same four candles and then the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. It's the reason why we observe the Christian calendar and we have an Ash Wednesday service and we have Holy Week and Easter Sunday because it reminds us that we must never stop remembering, reminding each other and proclaiming the story of Jesus. It reminds us that we must never stop preparing for and looking for His coming. And we must never stop longing for hope, peace, joy, and love because these come to us new Every morning. Great is His faithfulness. 
Tomorrow we're going to finally celebrate the birth of Jesus, the great mystery of the Incarnation, the amazing truth that God is with us. We've been waiting, watching, longing for, anticipating for Christmas. And it's tomorrow. And I hope that you'll come back tonight and join us for the Christmas Eve service as we peer over the edge of that manger, as we look into the glory of God reflected in the face of a newborn baby. We heard our New Testament reading this morning in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And as that was read, I thought about how Mary's and Joseph's world wasn't all that different from ours. They had rulers and governors, had to pay taxes, had to travel, had to engage in commerce. I think about all those people with them on the road to Bethlehem and how they were unwittingly involved in this grand drama of God's design that earth and heaven were soon to meet in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. Heaven spent an eternity preparing for and orchestrating this mysterious moment. And earth has been playing its part, being prepared, unawares, a vast humanity on the move, unaware of the fact that they're a part of God's plan and promise. Just think about all those people on the road to Bethlehem. Just mixing and mingling with Mary and Joseph, unaware of the nearness of God. Right? Somebody maybe bumped into Mary, didn't realize that the God of the universe was within her, had no clue that they were so close to Him. They had no idea that all of heaven's attention and focus was on this little town in the Judean desert. That the focal point of time and eternity would be a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And we leave off today with verse 5 telling us that Mary and Joseph were expecting a child. What are you expecting God to do? What are you looking for God to do in your life, in your home, in your world today? How do you want God to show up? What does God need to say to you? How does God need to move and work in your life? I pray this morning that Jesus has come into your story, just as He came in to our world in Bethlehem. I pray that you've received Him into your heart as your Lord and Savior and that you have and will continue to experience the love of God. And I pray that you are sharing that love with others in fellowship, in service, in witness. But maybe this morning, you've realized that your response to God all these years has been one of fear and hiding. And when God has convicted you, when God has spoken to you, and you've heard the gospel presented, you've shrunk away from it in fear. And you've said, how could God forgive me? How could God love me? How could God use me? Doesn't He know what I've done? Doesn't He know my history, my past? Listen, if God could come through Mary and come into this world as a baby, God can come into your life. If the Son of God become incarnate in flesh and born in a manger, God can come into your life and He can forgive your sins and He can redeem you today. My prayer is that you will move from fear to wonder and that you will have the faith to step out in obedience and respond to God and say, God, forgive me of my sin. Come and live in my heart and save me. That like Mary, you would say, I am the Lord's servant. May His will be done to me. Would you respond like that this morning? Maybe you've never done that. And you don't know that you know that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven. I beg of you to come this morning. Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ.
Let the fear move to wonder, move to obedience, move to worship and joy because you belong to Him and you know His grace and His mercy. I'll be standing right here. I would love nothing more than to help you give your life to Jesus Christ. But even as believers, even as Christians, we've not arrived yet. Amen? We're still on the journey. We're still in process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We have our own issues too. We need to surrender to Him. Maybe there's some situations in your life and your response has been one of fear. You need to experience the peace of God. Maybe you've lost the joy of your salvation. Maybe the love of God in your life has grown a little cold. This altar is open and I'll be standing here. You need to come and do business with God and experience anew the wonder of His birth. Receive His joy. Receive His peace. Let Him strengthen your faith this morning. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church, to surrender to ministry, whatever He's saying to you. Let's respond as Mary did. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as He has said. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we are so grateful for the birth of Jesus. It is all by Your grace. You did not have to go to the lengths You went to to redeem us. You could have just written us off. You could have let us just fade into oblivion. You could have allowed us to suffer eternity in hell. But instead, You chose to come and be born and live among us the perfect sinless life that we could not. To die the death we deserve so that we might receive Your righteousness, Your grace, Your forgiveness, Your peace, and Your joy so that we might know Your love. Thank You for the gift of Christmas. Thank You for the gift of Your grace. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know that, has never experienced that, I pray they would this morning. They would come right now in repentance and faith and put their trust in Jesus. God, whatever you're speaking to our hearts, may we be obedient in joy and in faith. In Jesus' name we pray.